Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Trish Wood on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I am back with Karen Hunt and we've just been jibber jabbering uh, all through the news as we do. So I'm going to try to incorporate some of what we were talking about so you can be part of it. And and I think our last little um, interaction was about Elon Musk. It's quite interesting because um, I was all in after Twitter gate. I got totally screwed over by Twitter. I'm still shadow banned. Elon, fix it. And um, and that hurts my business, right? My business is being known, so people will help to monetize, and you too, right? What we're doing. Um, and so I, but I, I always was really hoping that he was what everybody said he was initially, and when he cleaned house and stuff. But now he's not that. And my friend C.J. Hopkins um, warned me about him, and I was kind of mad about that. But C.J. was right. And you also did not have your have the wool pulled over your eyes about Elon. And um, it's kind of a tragedy. I mean, who do we believe in? There's no one left to believe in, is there? Well, why do we have to believe in anyone? I mean, we don't need to believe in anyone. We just need, yeah. you know, I'm very, I, I'm very tough about these things. Like, um, I think maybe because of the story of, by the history of my life has led me to this point. But yeah. um, I, I was never, ever, ever, ever fooled by Elon Musk. And um, because I've known, I've been too much in that world. I grew up in California. I, I know people who worked for his company you know, fair, high high up in the company, who left the company, um, and I'm sorry, but you know, nobody who's that rich, the richest, did, got there by being a nice person, got there by caring about yeah. other people. Yeah, that's bottom line. So you can just take that right there, take that to the bank. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, yeah. so right there, you have to be suspicious. And you know, I mean, how could anyone trust somebody who wants to drill a hole, a hole in your brain? And what he did to those animals in the lab is not so nice either. So, so he did that. What he did, the, the animal, how the the animals suffered in the lab with his experiments, and now people are probably lining up human beings to have those same experiments, to have those experiments done on them. It's quite incredible. I, I don't know what happened to the animals. Tell me, within reason, I might start weeping because I'm an animal person. But, uh, but what happened? Well, they were just, I mean, animals, they, they were just, I did a whole piece on that and you can find it on my, on my sub stack. Um, but they, you know, they were, they were holes drilled into their brains, brains exposed. Uh, you know, one, one, uh, one monkey, um, was just bit its, did something like bit its fingers off in despair. You know, all kinds of, I, I won't even go into all the details. It's horrific. And there's a whole investigation of this, but of course it will never, it won't matter you know these the reality of of how horrific all of this really is will not matter um and and i remember somebody saying you know anyone twitter i knew like the minute that he bought twitter it's like twitter is like gold to elon musk all the free thoughts of all these people coming together in one place to be fed to his machine to be fed as data that's why i would never get that blue check because I'm not going, I refuse, you know, I draw the line somewhere, I refuse to pay 
to prove that I am, to verify that I am a real human so that my data can be fed to his insatiable machine. So to me, that's how I, that's how I see it. And I am, I mean, I was banned from Twitter before, before he came along. I was allowed back on by Elon Musk and it's, and it's worse now because we are in a box. We've been put into a box. We are in a prison we cannot get out of. That's what I hate. And there we are regurgitating people. That's why I find, I find X and the whole name of X. I wrote a whole piece about that is quite, you know, terrifying to think that now there is this place called X that we've been relegated to the unknown. And he even names his children X. Um, and um, I'm just writing a piece about disease X. They've named this disease X. I'm writing a new piece about that. But uh, where we are kept regurgitating the same information over and over again to the same crowd. And, and, it's, and it's just, um, it's, a dead, it's a dead end. Meanwhile, he's taking all of that and feeding it to the vast machine. Uh, to quote Jonathan Twelve Hawks from The Traveler, one of my favorite books. Yeah, it's very interesting because I, I, I think I might be someone who is more, maybe a little bit more vulnerable to that. I mean, I was really, I had such a rough time when I started my Twitter account and started the podcast in May of, of 2020 to counter bad COVID information. I mean, it was really rough on there. I couldn't believe what it they was. were. I mean, it was stuff that was absolutely true. Stanford U had something called a virality project, which was demanding Twitter stop all vaccine uh, side effects and, and bad outcomes, even if they were true. For me, it's like the idea that a university would be saying, please censor your information. What world are we living in now? And why would they do that? But they did do it, you see. So it is, it doesn't make my life easier or better to not be able to trust him either. But I know we can't because I get tweets and emails from people saying, I have, are you still on Twitter? Like I haven't well, seen your tweets for I'm, like six my, months. I'm dead there. Yeah, it's, it's just. And the thing is, is before, at least you knew who you were fighting against. At least you were, I felt like I was in a battle. You know, I, I wrote, yeah. what got me banned was I wrote a piece about Ivermectin. I, I wrote a piece about Merck uh, and um, the killing of Ivermectin. I wrote a very heavily researched piece about that, uh, about their new drug to replace it. And, uh, and, 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 you know, I had to write, like on Twitter, you knew, like I had to write, I would put an I instead of I, you know, ver, and then mectin. So you had to do all these things around words, you know, to, but, but you could get your message across because you knew if you were, you know, you could, you could do it in certain ways, but eventually that piece got too much attention and I got, and I got banned and that hurt. Yeah. That hurt me a lot. Because then it's like you don't really exist anymore. I had been building my audience a lot there from nothing. Yeah. Because I started yes. as a, a nothing nobody, yeah. you know. Yeah. But Me too. um, yeah. So 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 that and but I never I never imagined that it would be better when Elon. I mean, I came back to to Twitter when I was you know when it, when it was okay. You can come back now. Um, but when you you know that when you're on Substack. If you put anything from Substack on Twitter, it's completely shadow banned, you know. And and the minute that you be, that they know that you are a Substack writer, 
I mean, you're just like way down at the bottom of the heap. So, you know, so, so it's in a way it's, I think it's worse than it was before because you're just more and more relegated to a box. Yeah. And then they lie about it and pretend they're freedom fighters. But I I know, right. I know that the, the rivalry between Substack and um, Twitter was because Substack had started this notes thing, which is kind of like Twitter. And I guess Elon had a bit of a meltdown about that, but you know, isn't there room for everybody? And isn't it better that there's more than one so-called free speech platform? Like, do you only want to just be the only one, which you aren't anyway? I mean, it's really, it was really very childish. I mean, I know like you, I think you can't, your Substack links don't even convert on Twitter anymore. Mm-hmm, you have don't. to, yeah, like you ha- I do a screenshot and then I put a little link that I run through, um, uh, what do you call it, Tiny Earl, to get the smallest link I can so it's not too ugly on the page. That's ridiculous. You know, it's it's a it's a stupid way to make people have to have to yeah, work. It, it, they, they, make it, they make your um, post look as undesirable and, and uninteresting as possible. That's basically yeah. compared to all the other things that they have yeah. there. I mean, you know, Facebook doesn't do that. Uh, you know why wouldn't mark zuckerberg get angry angry at subsec i think that the thing with you know there was a whole thing with matt tb and you know that yeah. where he was elon musk threw him under the bus after he did that interview that's a whole other story but um but he really felt stabbed in the back by by elon musk um threatened to leave yeah. leave x we still call it twitter but of course he didn't um but you know the i mean I think the whole idea is to really get rid of all those thoughtful voices, you know, the ones, I mean, I I love Substack as long as it's there that I can write completely Mm -hmm. freely what I want want to write, what I want to say, Uh, leave that for as my legacy or whatever, you know, for the future. Um, which we were talking about during the break, you know, as elders, you know, um, to leave something behind that is a remembrance of what the world was once, once upon a time, you know, I, I put in their stories of, you know, my, my, I, I interweave stories of childhood or history of, of history into my, that's why I call them essays, not art, mostly essays, not articles, um, so that there is some st- sense of connection to our store, to the stories, to our histories, you know, not just, uh, you know, one article after another of the latest disaster that's, that's happening, you know, yeah. a sense of relating it in time and space. So, um, and, and I think that's a dangerous uh, to somebody also like Elon Musk, um, he, because that takes away from the focus where he, where he wants the focus to be. I, that's really interesting because I, I mean I'm sort of doing the same thing and and I'm doing a bit more of relating personal things. I mean when you're trained as a journalist, you're not even supposed to ever use the word I, you know. And when you're writing or talking, it's all you're always detached from it. But of course, podcasting and um, and Substack and all of these new things are much more personal, and people I think expect you to kind of share a little bit which I enjoy doing. And the piece um, about taking taxis. I love that um, piece. I, I read it before coming on here. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. Well, and it just, I just sat down this morning and I wrote it. I didn't really yeah. think about it. Right. But, but I, I, I'd been carrying around this huge resentment toward the idea that 
progress is always good no matter who it harms or what it destroys we see that over and over and over again now and and the reason i wrote about taking that east end cab every morning for almost i mean a decade right um got to know the drivers their families they, it, they you know they were all working super hard they had kids in uni it was great um and the reason that i put that in there was because i wanted to humanize and really expose what was lost by bringing uber in i mean there were mass suicides of of, of taxi drivers when that happened mm. because a lot of them when they hit kind of mid-range of success especially in toronto and new york they would buy a plate and a plate which is an extra taxi plate that you can then put on another car and then you have someone driving for you right those things were hundreds of thousands of dollars and so they'd save up they'd save up they'd finally get one and then uber came and those plates became worthless worthless so they were cleaned out and they were i saw one story easy google happened came up first entry there i think six happened like right it was six suicides right away and i mean i don't think it was just that that they lost the money and were uh made poor but imagine the betrayal because that taxi driving is a job where if you in the olden days if you work hard and kept your nose clean and put in 60 70 hours a week you could be middle almost middle class right that was the promise of cab driving and that was gone in a heartbeat and no one cared in toronto we had big protests here like the truckers it was a precursor to the truckers i jeered it on and it just ended because the mayor said oh no you can do like it's ride sharing not really sharing because you're paying for it so how is it not a cap but yeah we just embrace these things and um and something was really lost i i feel yeah. we had relationships with these people didn't we Relation, yeah, those relationships are going by the wayside, and you know, young people now they, 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 they are not interested in working. They, I mean, they've been they're being taught that work is some sort of a you know horrible, terrible thing that is beneath them, and they shouldn't really yeah. have to work because you know that's just so grueling and so hard on them mentally or physically or whatever. But work is what gives us our our identity you know yeah so without you know we are we are creatures that love to make things that love we, we get a lot of satisfaction by by working on something and seeing the end result of our labor you know so that's something that is definitely being lost and is very is very sad and we don't we don't understand the as you say this is a big thing uh, to uh, everything must be progress. Progress is good. It doesn't matter what kind of progress. It's going to lead yeah. us somewhere. And there's no really long-term, uh, long-term, you know, it's like, let's really, oh, I know, let's genetically alter mosquitoes to solve this problem, not yeah. ever contemplating the end, you know, the, how that affects the entire ecosystem of perhaps the entire world to genetically alter. Think of all the things that are being genetically altered yeah uh, on our planet and just because these these you know gods these little little gods seem to think that they can uh magically uh fix a problem and then they create it all they do is create another problem it's it's, it's a really demented 
Well, and look at what happened with uh, Tucker Carlson used to talk about this a lot. And it's when I really started to love him was the kind of McKinseyification of factory work, right? Where they, McKinsey came in and they said to all of these big companies, offshore your work. You don't need to pay these unions. You just like, eh. and then all the factories shut down and they created this, uh, a group of people who can never aspire to be middle class, many of whom are now addicted to fentanyl and opioids and and hopelessness, and no one's ever stepped in to sort that out. I mean, Trump kind of did at the beginning, which is why I liked him, because he promised he was going to try and wreck. Remember, he was going to do all these trade, he did trade deals. They said, if you don't bring your country back, you know, we're not going to let your car, you know, I, it was really great, right? At least somebody acknowledged it. And and nobody at the time, Tucker did an interview with some guy from McKinsey, the head of McKinsey, and he beat the crap out of him in the interview brilliantly. And you could see what he exposed was that this guy had never given even a single thought to the destruction that he was wreaking on the citizenry in his own country, right? That this was kind of the beginning of it. You can make these huge decisions and it doesn't matter what happens to working people. So anyway, I got a cough and we got a break. So let's be back in a minute with Karen Hunt on TNT Radio. I'm Trish Wood. You should hear what Hervoy Morich is talking about. Quietly directed the Senate Sergeant-at-Arms to no longer enforce the Chamber's informal dress code for its members. The new directive will allow John Fetterman, who tends to favor gym shorts and hoodies, over the business attire traditionally required in the Chamber. And there's a photo of him in gym shorts and a white hoodie while everyone else is wearing suits, collared shirts and and suits. And I mean, this is pathetic. We are devolving. We're degrading. You, You should Diplomacy 101, uh, you know, etiquette 101, you, you wear a suit. <laughs> I mean, come on, we're just devolving, like it's degenerating at all levels, America. So now our politicians don't even, we're not going to wear suits. It's like idiocracy. I mean, first of all, the fact that we have people like Fetterman, idiocracy, and, and Biden and so forth. And second, now they can just wear gym shorts. Pervoy Morich on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Suck it up. It's not a big deal. Snap out. Just get over it. We've all heard it. But if you're experiencing extreme stress, it's not just in your head. It can affect your entire body because toxic stress can hurt us physically without us even knowing it. If you've lost a job, worry about your next meal, or have trouble making it through the day, if you're feeling the effects of stress, we can help. Text STRESS to 211211 to find a solution. TNT. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. This is today's News Talk Radio. This is what we stand for. TNT. So I'm back with Karen Hunt, one of my favorite people and a great writer with a great substack. So you should seek her out. Um, what's the name of your substack again? <laughs> a Break Free with Karen Hunt. Break Free okay, with Karen Hunt. Yeah. You can look it up yeah. and you'll find it. Yeah. yeah. You must be reading that. But during the break, we were just uh, chatting about Seymour Hirsch and how he writes for Substack now. And he told me in an interview that when he got his Nord Stream, big Nord Stream story, that Nord Stream was blown up by the U.S. of A., he didn't even bother taking it to the New York Times. Like, he just knew they wouldn't take it. And then after he published this impeccably written and sourced paper, the New York Times started doing running cover for the uh, you know american spooks by they there was this new narrative that they um oh gosh what happened that they 
some people had taken a boat, like a sailboat. Yeah, they were out, boat they, sailboat out. It was ridiculous. <laughs> like a ludicrous, right? It was the most yeah, absurd thing. Crazy. That's what the New York Times is running. And here's Seymour Hirsch tapping into sub into Substack. I just want to read you one thing. <clears throat> and this is from his latest piece in which he says that the Ukraine war is lost. He says, and I'm quoting, an American intelligence official I spoke with told me the war is over. Russia has won. There is no Ukrainian offensive anymore, but the White House and the American media have to keep the lie going. The truth is, if the Ukrainian army is ordered to continue the offensive, the army would mutiny. The soldiers aren't willing to die anymore, but this doesn't fit the BS that is being authored by the Biden White House. I mean, how explosive is that? And yet they... You know, legacy media is dug in, flag up here. We're flat. Zelensky's in town. Wow, let's give them more money. I mean, it's just shocking. So it's bizarro world. <laughs> it is it's bizarre. bizarre. It's bizarre. It's just so bizarre. Yeah. It's so horrifically happened. bizarre because you think of all of the people dying, and, and you know we don't see that. They don't really show us the reality of what's really going on. We don't, it's just kind of happening in some kind of nebulous altered yeah. universe, you know? Um, yeah. So you're just so supposed to support the glitz and the glamor. You know, I remember, remember when Zelensky and his wife were on the cover of Vanity Fair magazine, um, you know, and Vogue, I mean, and Vogue. Oh, or was it Vogue? Was it Vogue? Okay. Yeah, maybe yeah, it, was I think it was Vogue. It wasn't Vanity. Okay, it was Vogue, not Vanity Fair. <laughs> yeah. One or the other of them. <laughs> uh, both start with a V. But um, yeah, I mean, so and and then you have and then you have someone like Seymour Hirsch writing these very meticulously researched pieces, and having been relegated to, as we were saying, this is what I was talking about. Uh, Substack, which is a fantastic place where you can speak freely. However, once again, it is this box where only certain people are going to read it. It's not like writing for the New York Times, where it's out there everywhere. You know. I mean, well, well, this okay, is the so danger. Go ahead. No, go no, ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say this is the danger of not having a like a a, a platform that we can all agree on. Like in the olden days, people, everybody watched Walter Cronkite, everybody watched Mike Wallace, everybody, we all had, and you, you know can all discuss they, it. You yeah. can discuss these things. But it meant we had a shared reality. Like our, our reality, you know, they, they weren't the best reporters in the entire world, but but they were at least trying to be somewhat neutrally objective -y kind of. So at least we went to work on Monday morning or to school, whatever, and we all had seen the same stuff and we had a share now that you've got the cb not this well the legacy media and the people who curate that way their own social media and then on the other side and they two different realities two you know Absolutely. one side and and you have now you have the alternative media which is just getting just as crazy and ridiculous as the you know as the accepted media because they jump on stories they've got now they they are also making big bucks supported by sponsors so the exact same thing is happening they have to say 
what their sponsors tell them to say, and they have to make sure they keep getting, you know, these hysterical stories to feed to the audience because that's what the audience wants to hear. I wanted to say, uh, you know, back in the 80s, I lived between London and a little village in communist Yugoslavia. You know, I was married to a Yugoslav singer and um, crazy life. And I remember <laughs> I was, it was near, uh, lived near Lake Bled. There's nothing, I'm telling you, there's nothing like going to a disco in communist Yugoslavia in the 80s <laughs> like, with, the, with the biggest, with, with the singer, you know, it's like, that was crazy. But, uh, but that's another story. But anyway, so I remember going to the lake, Lake Bled, this beautiful, incredible place, I think inspired, that inspired Disney. And there would be a, uh, I could find a Time magazine, okay, there at the little kiosk, there would be a Time magazine or Newsweek, and but it would be like a month old, you know, so I would just grab that magazine and sit by the lake and read it from cover to cover. That was all I had, yeah. you know, and, and that from that information, I could glean you know, I could form, it was, an, but you know what? It was enough. It was enough information. I didn't need like 50 different cable <sighs> news networks, you know, yeah. to tell me things. Um, and I didn't think whether it was true or whether it wasn't or whether, you know, all of those things. I read the, inf I read what was there and then I thought about it with my own brain, Yeah, you know, and I could discuss it with, and there were people there, you know, highly intelligent people that I could just, it was very interesting living in that environment and being able to discuss these things with people from a completely different world, you know? Yeah. And I really miss those days. Yeah. You could say, well, you didn't have enough information. How could you ever possibly form any conclusions? You didn't have enough information, but, um, but that wasn't, that definitely was not the case. Now we're, it's just a flood of information signifying nothing. Nothing. Know, like, yeah. <clears throat> so it's like, I don't mean to defend, like, I, I think we're saying the same thing. Like, I, I'm not defending media in those days. You know, they, they lied about the JFK assassin, you know, they lied to get us into the, all that stuff. We, we know that and they're still lying. But I think that that was better than people inhabiting completely different realities, right? Though in those days, you didn't hate somebody because they were in a different political party than you were. My parent, my mother was kind of a borderline socialist. My father was in the trucking business, so he was not a socialist. And uh, they used to joke about it. You know, there was no, none of this, if you vote this way, you're a terrible person, you're a Nazi, you're a, there was none of that in those days and now politics and worldviews are infected with ad homina you know assaults on assumptions really mm -hmm. about people aren't they and that makes it like it's not working this is not working well and it's not that it was better or worse but it's that it's been a progression since that time we've been progressing to this point where that we're at now and if you look at the whole thing with algorithms i mean you know everything is everything the minute that you search for something online or whatever you are uh, that is reinforced by algorithms you know so yeah. so the algorithm so you are fed back what whatever it is that you put in there ad nauseum you know so yeah. like for me when i uh, when i look online uh for things and and i and i wrote a piece about this you know about speaking the truth and i got a lot of pushback a lot of pushback for that 
because you know, I'm being censored and things like that. And I'm saying, well, you can, I don't care. Look at, look through Google, look through Microsoft, look, do you really think that you can hide if you like, you're going to protect yourself in your little world? Yeah. And doesn't that, and in fact, aren't you then just giving in basically yeah. by hiding and, but thinking that you're smart by doing so I'm smart because I'm hiding. I'm, I'm, I'm actually censoring myself you know, by, by doing that. So what I do is I look at everything. I make sure that I try to confuse the algorithms. You know, I look at ev everything on that. I, I mean, you know, well, not everything, but, you know, from both sides, I make sure. And I, and I also want to do that because as a writer, as a, I guess, some sort of journalist that, that yeah. I, I need to do that or I would not be uh, honest in, in what I'm in my writing. So I find really great stuff in, in the regular me media. I find terrible things in the alternative media. You know, I, you can find all kinds of things if you look, if you look for them, you can find gems of truth anywhere. Um, but that also sort of balances your brain, I think, uh, rather than just, I'm always going to listen to what reinforces what I think and what makes me feel most comfortable, you know? Yeah, I think that's a really good point, too, because on the indie side, there are now lots of people making a lot of money feeding the rage machine. And as someone who does a regular podcast, aside from this show and this show, I try to not do that, but I see it being done. And, um, and it, it kind of frightens me because what happens then is that the programming becomes all about freaking people out and making them upset and that sort of a thing. You know, there's one guy, I won't mention his name, but he's got a really big show and <clears throat> making a ton of money. And he, he did a major report on how um, COVID was caused by snake venom being dumped into the water supply. I remember that. You know who I'm talking about, right? And I was like, what? And I was able to bat, not that I ever believed it for a minute, but they, he was doing it with a doctor, not actually a doctor. It's not an MD doctor. Um, and and uh, and so I thought, well, I'll just how are they? So I, I put in the word snake venom in medicine. And so it had the kernel of truth that they do use snake venom in some medicinal things. But that doesn't mean that, that, that they're dumping it into the, like, right, that's what happened. But it was a huge, like millions and millions and millions of views. And if people were paying a dollar, yeah to watch it right That's, yeah yeah so it's the same it, it becomes the same thing like you're saying you know so many things start well like you could say the me too movement or you know um, black lives matter you know there were probably people in the beginning with the best of intentions you know yeah um, but these things become perverted again, the minute that you know, big money, big bucks become involved, um, you know, why is it, you know, bad things happen. So I, I want to stay independent. And that's what I said, you know, I had the example of my father who wrote, he, you know, he wrote this book back in the 80s, you know, we got very poor when he decided to be a writer, it took him a long time to make it as a as a Christian writer. But he wrote this book called The Seduction of Christianity in the 1980s that blew up, it was, became a huge, big, phenomenal bestseller. And, um, and he got and, and I learned about censorship then because he spoke out against all these prosperity preachers. I mean, I look at these big guys on TV, I mean, they remind me, you know, the snake oil salesman, you know, Fauci or, or people 
people left or right, it doesn't matter. Remind me of these uh, prosperity preachers from the past. Yeah. Um, selling you something, and um, and he and he spoke out against them, and they did not like that. They were the big guys, and you know he was just this 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 guy in a brown fuddy duddy suit, you know, <laughs> with a beard and you know bald head, you know, speaking the truth. You know that's what he would do, yeah. and um, I mean he used to go on on um <clears throat> he said he would speak out against the Mormon Church, and he'd have to go on radio talk shows with a bulletproof vest at a certain point. Um, yeah, and and he ended up, you know, he was, you know, he would be booked three years in advance. He would go to go to the Soviet Union, sleep on a pastor's sofa, you know, pay his own way, you know, do things like that. So I learned from from my both my parents, and and he spoke out against these people and was censored at that time, very badly censored for wow. what what he would say and what he would do. So um, and refused refused to be part of the mainstream uh you know re christian religious right or whatever offered many times um you know a carrot and refused it so so i had that in my history what what did you learn from that what do you think you took away from that experience you know i think we always think like people now they always think well and they ask me this question well what's the answer you know there's all these problems what's the answer they want to see a result you know you want to see an yeah. immediate result you want to feel like you're going to win you know but um but winning is you know what does it mean really to win there's a bigger battle that we're in and to me you know the, that's a spiritual battle so so we fight so i learned that you fight for what's right not because of what you're going to get out of it <laughs> you know but because mm -hmm. it's right mm -hmm. and and the minute that you start shifting that and compromising that integrity is when you is when you get in trouble and i think a lot of people start with that intention uh, you know, I'm going to, you know, do the right thing. I'm, but but they think, oh, well, you know, I can reach more p people or I can do this if I just compromise. And they start making these compromises. And that's, you know, can be a very, very dangerous road. And so that's, I think, what I learned. You do what you, you do what's right. You, you speak the truth, you know, how, as best you can. You make mistakes along the way, of course, but um, not for what you gain out of it i mean hopefully you can survive you know everybody yeah. wants to make money i'm not saying you shouldn't want to do that i'm not saying you should suffer you know or anything like that but you're but always your top goal is that you you know that you do it because it's the right thing to do i mean it's that simple really you know uh, you know what's interesting about what what you just said is is the idea that the people that i know who did that are people who couldn't have not done it so there was there was no kind of if I do this, will I be able to make a living or, you know, will I ever be able to practice medicine again or what, any of the kind of actually the true heroic people from the COVIDian times, they, they just couldn't be any other way about it. You know, I think some people are allergic to lying. You know, they're, they're just... They can't sit in, in the untruths. I, I happen to be one of them, actually. I'm really uncomfortable around lying. And it, in lots of situations, even sometimes in social situations where I should be a little bit more um, a diplomatic, I, it's just hard for me. And so I could not go back to my old life now. In documentary yeah, films surrounded by left-wing people who were super COVIDian and Ugh, I mean, having to be on set with them and I couldn't travel. I mean, how would I even 
do it. You know, I'm, I feel like I'm free. I make a fifth, the money I was making three years ago. Like I really took a hit, right? I was directing for Amazon. I mean, it's a big deal, right? But I, and I've been offered some films, but I just, and I, I'm actually doing one now, but it's not like a big money-making film, but I just couldn't do it because I know who populates that world right now. And they're all super left Obama Democrats, which in my view are the worst kind. I think he was the worst thing to ever happen to America. I didn't, I cried when he was elected. I was sobbing, <laughs> but now I know who he really is. Right. So, so, you know, it's just, we do what we can live comfortably with, I think. And, and I am just uncomfortable in that milieu. I even, if I'm in a social situation and somebody says something really COVIDian, well, why don't you just wear a mask? I'm, I'm like, oh, I, I gotta get out of here. Like, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I want a face, but I just, I can't live with it. Somehow. I'll tell you a funny story. I knew I was, I was, I was not going to do well in the business world or any of that sort of world where you have to play those games. When I was uh, in college, the first job that I had, I was hired by a small boutique, uh, this you know very expensive small boutique because I was you know six feet tall and I was skinny and I could wear the clothes you know nicely you know. So I was hired by this boutique to be a salesperson in, in this store. And these older women would come in and squeeze themselves into these clothes. You know, they, sometimes they would literally yeah. lie on the floor to get the zipper up and you had to help them yeah. get yeah. the zipper up. And then they would, and then you had to tell them how fabulous they looked, you know, and yeah. I, and it didn't take long before I was taken aside by the manager and, <laughs> and fired because they told me I had the worst sales record in the history of the store because oh, no. I just couldn't, I just couldn't, couldn't do, it. do it. You know, I mean, I, I just couldn't, uh, I mean, I, I could, you know, it can be nice to somebody, but you know, I could not do that whole thing of, of that, of that line. Yeah. No. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> I was good. The one thing I was good, maybe a little bit lying was when I was waitressing. I really loved it. And my goal was to try to make the crabbiest customer love me. That was always a big challenge. So I guess that involves a certain amount of dishonesty through really kind of super energetic <laughs> cheerfulness. But it yeah, worked. so that's made, another type of a thing, though. Yeah, that's, I think that's a little yeah. different. I made a I was little a bit of money doing too. that. Yeah, I loved it actually. <laughs> exactly. It's one of my favorite jobs. I've learned a lot you can, by being a waitress. Yeah, you do, and it's cause and effect. You know, you work hard and you get a lot of tables and you treat people well and you make money, right? They tip you. We got to go to a break. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk to you about something I want you to write about. Um, and I've been thinking about it, and it's called I think it's called family estrangement. I don't know if you know about this, but I discovered it through a YouTube algorithm. And it's fascinating, and I think it's going to be really, really detrimental to society if we don't sort it out. So uh, we'll be back in a moment with Karen Hunt. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. I stand corrected. FBI wasn't lying about how many agents they had at the Fed surrection on January 6, 2021. No, it turns out they had so many, they didn't even know how many were there. So no, they weren't lying. January 6, 2021 is not going to go down in history as an insurrection when Donald Trump tried to end democracy as we know it. It's going to go down as the federal government's single greatest assault on the First Amendment. 
continent in American history. The evidence is becoming overwhelming. Deep state agencies like FBI, DOJ, CIA, insert your favorite three letters here, incited people to riot, and the courts have gone along, putting in jail grandmothers who are walking between velvet ropes and taking pictures in the rotunda. Meanwhile, illegal aliens are let out on no-cash bail to repeatedly commit felonies up to and including homicide. Now we have emails that Nancy Pelosi took affirmative steps to reduce the Capitol Police presence on January 6th. January 6, 2021 will indeed go down in the history books as a dark day in America. A day that Democrats and the federal agencies they control used any means necessary to stay in power. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Challenging the consensus and debunking the narrative, this is Viewpoint. For decades, senior government and intergovernmental organization officials have peddled fear with climate change alarmism. In June 1989, Noel Brown, director of the New York office of the United Nations Environment Program, said that governments had a 10-year opportunity to arrest the greenhouse effect before it went beyond human control. He claimed that entire nations could be wiped off the face of the Earth by rising sea levels if the warming trend was not stabilized by the year 2000. In reality, global carbon dioxide emissions from fossil fuels and industry were 62% higher in 2021 than in 1989, and sea level has barely changed. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT, TNT with Trish Wood. Hi there, I am back again with Karen Hunt, and um, there is a subject that I want to talk to you about before we go, and that is, I was watching um, on YouTube something. It was a woman who had done a video about how her daughter had ghosted her um, and doesn't speak. It's kind of like what Megan and Harry did to their families, in a sense. And and um, it, she said that you know this woman just her daughter just stopped speaking to her. She won't take her calls. She never gave a reason, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I thought, wow, that's weird. But then, as you mentioned earlier, the algo because I watched it, the YouTube algorithm kept feeding me all of these doc all these uh, documentaries and and youtube channels on this thing which they're calling family estrangement and what it's about is primarily young people early uh early 20s 30s deciding that my mom is a narcissist and i'm never going to speak to her again i'm speaking my truth or because of politics or because of some big cultural issue that they're setting a boundary and they're just ghosting their family. And, and it's, it's wrapped in the language of psychotherapy, trauma therapy. And it feels to me like a very, I'm going to, I want you to write about it, but I, I'm going to try and do a show on it too. It feels like a very, very dangerous artifact of maybe bad psychotherapy or something. I mean, why not teach these young people resilience to deal with mom who might be a bit of a weirdo, right? It's just, but it's no, we've got to, I can never speak to her again. What do you think of that? Uh, because the uh, one of the major points is to break, totally break up traditional families. So uh, the traditional family has to go. Um, you yeah. cannot, you know, this whole thing in the schools of not, as you were saying in, in uh, Canada, it's, um, you, you can't, well, in the United States, you, uh, children don't need to tell their parents 
that yeah. they're you know want to transition or whatever um their parents are actually become the enemy um and they yeah. trust the, ex the 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 psychologists they trust the experts they trust the you know the government the state becomes your you know the, your your parent essentially so that and this again is to take the steal the children away to take away all of this all of these traditional values that we've had and to replace it with the, with new stories new narratives um jordan peterson was it he was he, he's a big on saying you know we need to we need to remember our stories we need to keep our stories yeah. We need to keep telling our stories. This is a very dangerous thing because those stories, that you know, the, the the story that your grandmother can tell you, as we were talking about, roots yep. you in your history. But yep. they want to destroy all. It's it's the same thing that the communists did, um, in you know, in Eastern Europe, um, to to they, to destroy all everything that was good from the past, and to replace it with this new this new um, energy or this new that they're new narratives well uh, it seems to me that um, this is some kind of a new trend in psychotherapy and I must say psychotherapy is not doing a lot of really useful things these days I, I, it's it seems to be in a sense the root of some of the evil psychotherapy is absolutely well, look at what psychotherapy is rooted in. Look at what psychiatry is rooted in. Um, I wrote a piece called, uh, one of my first pieces that I wrote was called Happily Slipping Into Our Straitjackets. And I go into the history of, of psychiatry. Uh, it started yeah. in Germany. And, uh, you know, it started with electric shocks with, you know, they would put people into these pits, they call uh, uh, lunatic asylums, they experimented on uh, people in ways that they are now experiment. I mean, it hasn't changed, you know, they've yeah. just changed their experiments. And, and it's all eugenics. And it's all about, you know, again, about transhumanism, or actually posthumanism, finding that that route, that route towards it. So, so psychotherapy, I've never trusted it. And the, what, it, what do they foist upon people? What do they foist upon young people? Drugs, 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 more drugs. You know, drugs are the answer. Take this pill, take this injection, and it will, you know, it will fix you. It's, you know, it will, it will somehow change the chemical imbalance in your brain. Well, they've never proven that there's any chemical imbalance in your brain. You know, none of these things have been proved. It's based on cycle, it's babble that they've created, which actually very disturbed individuals like Sigmund Freud yeah. uh, based it on their own problems. I yeah. mean, who who in their right mind would take the word of a man like that with when, when you look at his history and all the problems? And he, he sort of foisted all of his own psychological problems upon the rest of us. We all have to have these problems because he had them, you know, his disturbances. And so this is the whole history of uh, psychoanalysis. And, um, you know, it's no surprise that it hasn't, it's only resulted in people with more mental illness. Everybody has a mental oh, illness. Yeah. Everybody you know, there, has everything, there's something wrong with you. There's something, it, it's not just, even for children, it's not just that you're going, this is a natural process that you're going through. You're going to get through it, you know, and you're going to get through to the other side because most people do, right? You, know, you look back on your own crazy things that you would go through. Uh, as a teenager, you know, I'm going to die. This is the end of the world. I'm going to throw myself off a cliff, you know, and um, and you don't. Most people don't. I'm not saying again, you know, that, that that's not a real issue, 
but um, certainly um, nobody's taught that that by as you say by your own resilience you can you learn to get through these things no you have to have a crutch you have to because there is something so innately wrong with you as a young person that the only solution is for a pharmaceutical company to take control of your life for the rest of your life basically so that's where, where we're at well i want to explore this a little bit with you too because um you know, if you think of the coddling of the American mind, the Jonathan Haidt book, right? It's it's like for, for therapists to be telling children to abandon their parents because they're not perfect seems really strange. There is a bit of background noise here right now. The hellfire of a construction crew. This is downtown Toronto, after all. I'm going to throw it to you, Karen, just to answer that, if you wouldn't mind. Well, yeah, so we have, so, so we have this, destruction of the family unit and that is what uh, you know that is one of the major ah, it ended right that is one of the major things that we are facing now in the united states and in in canada in the western society and that's one of the things i don't know if 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 you've listened to any of putin's speeches (laughs) he was very smart Okay, so I wrote, I, I did write, uh, include uh, some of his speeches in some of my pieces, but um, he wrote, he gave a great speech um, at one point, maybe it was about six months ago or so, uh, about the destruction of Western society. I mean, he was upholding, you know, how important tradition was, religion, you know, religion, which is so funny because what the whole, the, so, the whole, one of the, major goals of the Soviet Union was to destroy all of that. And now to have him speaking so passionately about these things, you know, and against this whole transgender movement and how they're destroying families in the West and it really uh, powerfully spoke about these things. So again, it's this sort of completely upending of everything that we thought always thought was true and right. Because now in the United States, you have this whole push to destroy the the family unit, to destroy you know anyone who's you know a a Christian. They they still haven't gone against Muslims yet. They can't do that, but they will eventually come for for any reason. Starting here, it's starting here because the Muslims are fighting back against the trans stuff in the schools. They were leading those big moves. Oh yeah. yeah. So Christians and Muslims are coming together to fight again uh, to fight these battles. And uh, yeah, as you say, they will turn on. You know, eventually they will they will turn on the Muslims. It's just not politically correct at the moment to do that. But um, yeah, so all of this destruction of of everything that we ever ag- acknowledged as you know th- that has gotten humanity through. I mean, I'm not a big proponent of organized religion you know i mean the you know the history of the catholic church is not great you know the history you know inquisition the i mean my ancestors my mother's a mennonite my ancestors were persecuted by you know by the by the inquisition um she can trace her family back you know a few hundred years for that but but within that the whole basic truth of that is there you know we have these institutions that grew up around that that became that became corrupted or what have you but the basic truth that the strength of the family unit i've been reading a book called um live not by lies so the yeah 
No, no, no. It's not by Solzhenitsyn. Well, based it's on by Solzhenitsyn. This guy, Dreyer, based on Solzhenitsyn, but by this guy named Dreyer. And um, he and and uh, he goes into all, he, he interviews some of these great, um, you know, religious leaders who were persecuted in, behind the iron, iron, what was in the Iron Curtain. And they talk about how that was the main thing. And that, and they say that in the West, if you want to survive, if you want to live through what's coming, you need to really build up that, those family units. You need to build up community. And he's also said, interestingly enough, these people said, you need, you reach across boundaries to people. They don't have to be, have all the same, um, uh, beliefs as you, but they have the same moral values as you. And you find those people and you build communities away from the internet within your world, within the real world. You must yeah. build those communities if you're going to survive in the future. So I thought this is a really, really great book to read. I highly recommend it to people. And I think this is what th this is what is very um, dangerous to this new world order, to this to the regime. Um, and, and they talk about it. He talks about a soft totalitarianism, which is much they feel is much more destructive than the very obvious totalitarianism that that um, people faced. Um, and, and it's the same as we were talking about with um, with with Twitter and X. Twitter, it was obvious. It was obvious, as I was saying, what we were fighting against. Now it's this soft totalitarianism that makes people think that they makes people feel comfortable, that makes people feel safe, when in fact it's actually much more destructive. Yeah, and he's brought this Linda Yaccarino woman in, who's has this awful but lawful or whatever the heck, it's just yeah, yeah. Like stupid sloganeering dumb stuff. But just getting back to the kids. Um, they, they seem to be, it seems that psychotherapists and therapists are saying you don't have to tolerate any pain either, right? Like mm -hmm. we all had weird relatives. My grandfather, who I worshipped and had more probably influence on me than anybody, I think I ever heard him say maybe six words. He was a commercial fisherman. He never talked, but he was <laughs> kind in his own gruff way. And I admired him deeply. He was one of the most courageous and decent people I know. But he wasn't going around affirming my truth either or wanting to hear all my problems or he wasn't doing any of that stuff. But somehow I felt valued by him in his own strange way. And I think that children now, they want their parents to be their therapists and their best friend, all this kind of garbagey stuff. They don't know how to deal um, with people who are not exactly what they want them to be in every moment and the solution is then cut them off like over having a narcissistic parent i mean that's the worst you've got like i grew up in a really violent household like i yeah. i wished only that my parents were just merely narcissistic right so i think they're just destroying this generation and like you said they're destroying the family as well aren't they they yes, don't value they it they want to control it these little groups right they want to Control. No, because they want to be the, the, the state will take care of you. You must submit to the state. So in order to, you can't have a parent telling you something other, otherwise, you know, you, you can't have a, your, your um, family unit or the people around you influencing you. It must be the state. I saw a great thing with Steve Harvey. He was, he did some stand up comedy thing about um, some mother in a public place asking him to, 
sign it sign an interview for her son and he was all like decked out and all this crazy stuff and he was treating his mother poorly and he and steve harvey was saying wow you know any black mama would you know would be uh, uh. you know he was so funny he was like they would slap that kid left and right i mean all the horrific things that we would all that you would be sent to jail for now he was talking about you know being a strong parent people are afraid yeah. to be I'm not saying you should slap your kid left and right, but you know my point is, you know, to be a strong parent. In fact, parents are afraid to be that now. You will be, you yes. will be taken to court for that. Yeah. Well, I think one of my next shows is going to be about why daycare is bad, which will really set the cat amongst the pigeons. But I saw a really interesting article about. That.